0: Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study of the book of Hebrews. When you read through the book of Hebrews, you will see time and time again that Jesus is greater than everyone and everything that ever was, is, or will be. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. We're glad to see you here in the building as well as online. And before I dive into this message, you know, I know people oftentimes come in with uh, things that are going on in their life. And and as we've seen this week, uh, there's a war that has happened in Ukraine. So let me just stop for a moment and just pray for the world and for us. Would you bow your heads? Father, as we come into this place, uh, we experience peace in here, but we know that there's not always peace in our individual lives. And Lord, we know that there is not peace right now in in Ukraine and other places in the world. And so, Lord, we we ask, Lord, that uh, the Prince of Peace would come in and invade our lives, invade uh, the leaders of countries, invade all of us, Lord, and give us that peace. And we pray, Lord, for peace on earth, peace amongst countries and peace amongst peoples and peace in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Any fans of C.S. Lewis in the building? All right. And anybody uh, read the Chronicles of Narnia? So, so not just the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, but the other five. Uh, anybody read all six? Awesome. Awesome. So you're going to know, hopefully, where I'm headed. So whatever happened to Susan P. Vinzi? Now, if you don't know who Susan P. Vinci is, she's one of the four main characters in the Chronicles of Narnia, and you meet her first in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And she's one of the four kids who eventually become kings and queens of Narnia. And and so you know, the Chronicles of Narnia is sort of a, a little bit like an allegory of of the Christian life and and what it means to follow Jesus and and the. the The savior figure in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is a huge lion named Aslan, and he's the Christ figure. And when you get to the very last book of the series, you'll notice that somebody is missing. It's Susan. Uh, the omission is, is glaring and, and even within the story, it's, it's, the last book is called The Last Battle. Uh, even within the story, even the characters are asking why Susan is not with them there because the last battle is, is about obviously the, the last judgment and about heaven. And so, you know, they're in the place that's considered heaven and they're, and they're wondering, you know, why isn't Susan there? And here's the answer straight from the book. Uh, My sister Susan, answered Peter, is no longer a friend of Narnia. Uh, And then Eustace continues, yes, and whenever you try to get her to come and talk about Narnia or do anything about Narnia, she says, what wonderful memories you have. Fancy you still thinking about all those funny games we used to play when we were children. You know, so that That scenario, that that last book raises an important issue that actually has real life implications for followers of Jesus. And think this through, when we get to heaven, there will be people that we expected to see there, but we won't see them. People we thought were believers who turn out not to be. So C.S. Lewis is describing someone who seemed to be a follower of Aslan, the the Christ figure, who seemed, in other words, to be a Christian, but who ends up turning away. Now, Eustace's words explain why she dismisses all their childhood memories as mere games, as if they really didn't happen. She's trying to be grown up and and no longer a child, no longer uh, a believer, now, in, in the Christian life, uh, that concept is called apostasy. Uh, an apostate is someone who once seemed to be a believer, but who later totally rejects Christ and turns away from sound biblical teaching and, and leaves the body of Christ. Now, let me, let's just think about this. You know, ha- have you ever been excited about a new hobby or an activity and, and you just went all out for it? Uh, you know, you you bought all the gear that went with this new activity, you opened up your life, you dove in headfirst, and, and it really changed how you were living your life, and you embraced it, and you embraced the community of people who were involved in it. And then a few years later, that hobby, that activity, and that community that, were, that you've uh, associated with, they're, they're no longer part of your lives. You know, the gear that you uh, bought, whatever it was, you know, it's... Uh, dusty on a shelf someplace. Well, the people in the book of Hebrews that the author is writing to were were people who were doing just that, But, but it wasn't about a hobby. It was about their faith in Jesus Christ, and they were withdrawing from not just the community of fellow believers, but also from Christ. So Think this through. Apostasy happens when someone who seemed to be a follower of Jesus, rejects Jesus, turns away from sound teaching, and withdraws from the fellowship of fellow Christians. That's going on. And that's why the, the writer of the book of Hebrews writes this. And, uh, you know, these were people, just background, these were people who, who grew up in Judaism they grew up practicing the Jewish faith, and they had heard the message of Jesus. They had been convicted that Jesus was the Messiah, who everybody in Judaism was waiting to come. And so they had put their trust and faith in him, so everyone thought. But now they were pulling back. They were returning to Judaism. Judaism. And so the author of Hebrews challenges them. And, and the first thing he challenged them with was about their spiritual diet, so to speak. And basically he was saying this, listen, you are what you eat. So let me unpack that a little bit. Let's, uh, let's read these last verses from chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature and who, through training, have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So I think we can all grasp the picture here. Babies, even toddlers, don't always eat solid food. They, they want milk. But at some point, they, they grow up and they have to move on to solid food. So to refer, return to that phrase, if you are what you eat, and these Christians our babies because they're just eating the basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They're just taking in not even the basics. They're sort of like toddlers who don't want to grow up, don't want to move on to uh, the things that uh, happen as we get bigger. And uh, the the writer of Hebrews speaks to them. So let's unpack it a little bit. The first thing that we see in there in verse 11 is that they don't listen. In verse 11, we read that they would, the writer says, we would like to teach you more, but it's difficult to teach you. Though they said they believed in Jesus, they're, they're spiritually dull, the scripture says. Now, what does that mean? It means they don't care. It means. They aren't being sharp. They're not paying attention. They're not listening. They're they're not engaged in what they've been taught about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, not listening, that sounds a lot like a toddler, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Next, they don't remember. In verse 12, the author tells them that since they've said they were believers for so long now, they should actually be able to teach others But still, they need to be taught. And what do they need to be taught? The basics of faith again. Why? Because either they're forgetful or they just don't care. And so they don't choose to remember. They they haven't remembered what they've been told, what they've been taught, what they've heard. Again, like toddlers. Toddlers don't remember what they've been taught. They don't like the limits that are put on them. They're irresponsible. And then the author goes on. He says that you're not skilled. In other words, you're not mature in following. He says, uh, because you've forgotten about what you've been taught and trained to do, you're not skilled in handling the Word of God. Handling the Word of God just means that you're not able to, to take it in and apply it to your life and live what you say you believe. They haven't developed those spiritual muscles of following Jesus Because they haven't paid attention, they haven't listened, they've ignored. You you can't become skilled in using God's word and apply it to your life unless you seek to remember it and to apply it. And then the last thing the author says is this, you don't have any discernment between what is right and what is wrong. So think that through. He says literally, you, you can't recognize The difference between right and wrong. Now that's a problem. If you can't actually recognize the difference between right and wrong, you're not showing any discernment. Again, it looks a lot like you don't care. And again, that sounds exactly like a toddler. Now, this is basic stuff, but these people who say they're Christians, they don't have a grasp of it. Now, spiritually speaking, this is like hearing the Ten Commandments and not listening to them, not understanding what the Ten Commandments mean and not applying them to one's life, not seeing that the Ten Commandments are the basic foundations for faith. But if we know the Ten Commandments and what they are and we don't apply them to our lives, then we're a lot like a, A toddler who's not mature. Now, the reason I'm picking on the Ten Commandments, it's not in this scripture, but the reason I'm picking on it is because it's important that followers of Jesus know that the the Ten Commandments aren't this high and lofty goal somewhere off that we'll attain. It's the basics. It's where you start. You know, put God above all others. Worship God only and not anyone else or anything else. Don't misuse God's name. Make the Sabbath day a holy day. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't, don't covet things that belong to other people. Again, those are basics. And if you're not doing the basics, you're like a toddler. You're not walking the talk. You're not living what you say you believe. So let's talk about walking the talk. From chapter 5, the author continues on in chapter 6 and says, it's time to grow up. It's time to walk your talk. It's time to live what you say you believe. So I want to read the first three verses of chapter 6. The author writes, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on and, and instead become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, about laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understandings. So, The author of Hebrews is saying, listen, I don't need to go over the basics again. You know, the basics about how you need to repent, how you need to have faith and believe, how you need to be baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ, how you need to pray. I don't need to go over the basics of the resurrection or the final judgment. The author is saying, listen, it's time to to start living what you believe. It's time to to move on because these are basic beliefs and they should be the foundation of the lives of the people that he's writing to if they're really followers of Jesus. And that's a critical understanding before we go to the next verse. What, What the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, if these people are really Christians, They would not need this basic teaching because they would know it and they would share it with others. They would build their lives and their faith on it. And so since they're not doing this, he questions if they're really followers of Jesus. Now with that knowledge, after we've seen the first three verses, let's go on to verses four, five, and six. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. Now, now let me be clear. Uh, There's an important thing that I need to share with you, and, and I don't want you to jump to a conclusion. This is important. The author is not saying that people can lose their salvation. That's not what he's saying. The reason he says it's impossible to bring them back to repentance and all these other things... Is because he's saying, listen, they've been told the truth, but they have chosen to reject it and not believe it. They just give lip service to believing in Jesus. They they never really live for him. What the author is saying now, it's heavy. And it it should, when we read it, when we hear it, when we study it, it should cause us to pause. It should cause us to reflect on our own lives in Christ. Are we walking our talk? Or are we just giving lip service to believing in Jesus? Jesus spoke directly about this. In the Gospel of Matthew, this is what he said. He said, Not everyone who calls on me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. So Jesus is saying it right there in black and white. He's saying, listen, you can give me lip service and call me Lord, Lord, but, it, but it's not just lip service that I want. I want you to live your life for me. I want life service. And that's demonstrating that you're my follower. So uh, again, let me be clear. Jesus is not saying that doing the will of God gets you saved and gives you the promise of eternal life. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying this, if you have faith in me, you'll surrender your personal agenda and you'll embrace the agenda of God's will for your life. Now, here's an important understanding. You know, we want to judge the obvious situation when someone says they're a Christian but they never do anything that demonstrates they're a follower of Jesus. But but what if we say we're a Christian and we do all the activities that that Christians are associated with Go to church, attend a Bible study, say prayers, and on and on and on. But what if we've not really embraced the will of God for our lives? You know, because if we've embraced the will of God for our lives, we're not going to be living for us even while we're doing all the things that outwardly seem to tell the world that we're Christians yes we'll do those things but we'll live differently in all areas of our lives what we say what we think what we do will we still struggle with sin and struggle with the old ways and and the influence of the world yes we will but we'll seek to follow the way of God and not the way of the world so what do we do I suggest we we take the fruit test. Let me tell you what I'm talking about here. We're gonna turn to uh, the Gospel of John chapter 15. Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So, Big picture, obviously, Jesus here is the vine. Everyone who believes in Jesus is a branch. And verse five is a key verse here. We, the branches, must remain connected to Jesus. The vine, he is the vine because the branches have to be connected to him to bear fruit. And what does this fruit look like? Well, in the next section of of the chapter, We're not gonna read it, but Jesus makes it clear what that fruit includes. And it includes these things. Obedience to the commands of Jesus. The fruit of following Jesus also includes experiencing joy. So don't think following Jesus is joyless. He says your joy will be complete and he'll, he'll give us his joy. Jesus also tells us that the fruit that his followers will produce is that they will love one another and finally the fruit we will produce is that we'll be a witness to Christ for others now this is important now you know some people say well you know following Jesus is hard and he's gonna he's gonna ask a lot of me he will he will I mean that scripture says it remember what it said it said uh, he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit but then what does he say For while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. What does Jesus prune from us? He prunes from us the things that are following the ways of the world that we're tempted to follow instead of following the ways of God. Uh, Professor and uh, Dr. Uh, D.A. Carson writes this. This fruit that Jesus talks about it is nothing less than the outcome of persevering dependence on the vine, driven by faith, embracing all of the believer's life and the product of his or her witness. Let me just read that again. The fruit that Jesus is talking about is nothing less than the outcome of persevering dependence on the vine. That's what we need to do. It's driven by faith, he says. It's embracing all of our lives. So the test of producing the fruit of following Jesus, the fruit test, it's a a litmus test for believing in Jesus. And, And it's throughout the New Testament. If you truly believe in Jesus, you will listen to what he taught and you'll listen to God's word and you'll remember it and you'll apply it to your life and you'll have discernment. And the life that you live, the choices that you make, the words that you speak, the thoughts that you think, will look different than what our culture says and does and thinks. That's how we see the fruit. So look, believing in and following Jesus, I hope you understand, it's not, it's not a casual commitment like say joining a health club. You know, I, I remember years ago, we, uh, one winter, uh, we joined a health club because it had a pool and when the kids were young and we wanted to take the cool, take the kids to the pool and go swimming. And, and you know, those first couple of months, we used it all the time and we went. But as the weather got warmer, we stopped going so often. And as spring turned into summer, we stopped going. And, and you know what? The health club didn't care. They didn't care that our commitment was casual. You know, we never signed up for the special programs. I don't think I ever went to the workout room. We signed up for the pool, but once... The weather got warm. We stopped going, and and you know the only commitment the health club was concerned about. It was my yeah, it was my payment. As long as I was making the payment, they didn't care what I did. Jesus wants us. He wants our heart. He wants a relationship with us. He he doesn't want a casual commitment. He wants total commitment. The author of Hebrews was calling people out because they never really made a commitment to following Jesus, and now they were committing apostasy. They were walking away from Jesus and the Christian community. You know, I've been a pastor for 35 years, and I've seen people walk away from the church and from Jesus when God's word is taught over sexual purity or over what God says to do about giving 10% of your income or about racism or about what Jesus taught about full obedience. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about cheap grace and cheap grace is telling people you can be saved by praying a prayer but not saying that Jesus wants all of your life. Yes, you can be saved by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. But he knows if it's sincere or not. So don't delude yourself. Don't don't misrepresent what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Yes, he wants to have a relationship with you now and for you to spend eternity with him. But he wants all of you. He wants you to take it seriously. He wants you to be a part of his mission. He wants you to be sharing his message Will it be easy? No, at times it will be challenging, but I promise you this, the more that you're obedient, the more it will become part of who you are. And it won't necessarily always be easy, but it will become natural. And the more you exercise those spiritual muscles, the more it won't be as frightening or as scary. You know, think about it. It, Going back to that health club idea, When you start lifting weights the next day, oh my, you're in pain because those muscles aren't used to it. You know, living your life committed to Jesus, it can be scary and and frightening and even painful, but the more you do it, just like the more you lift the weights, the more your muscles get used to it, the more it becomes something that is not frightening or scary or painful. So this morning I want to ask you to ask yourself a question or two. I'm going to read them to you. Ask yourself this. Am I going beyond the basics of faith? Am I reading God's word regularly? Am I applying what I learn from God's word to the way I live my life? Am I... Applying the hard teachings of the Bible to my life? Am I talking to God regularly or praying? Am I giving my time, my talent, my treasure to God through the body of Christ? Have I been baptized in obedience to Jesus' teaching? Am I a good person or a godly person? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up and get ready for our final song, but if you're thinking what Jesus wants from you is hard, you're right. He doesn't offer us cheap grace. It's costly. Jesus doesn't apologize for that. Think about it. Think about what Jesus did for us. He did the hardest things possible for us. He left the throne of heaven. And he came down to earth to live a life like you and I live, to experience the highs and the lows, the emotions, the heartache, the sadness, the joys, everything we experience. He gave up heaven to do that for us. But that's not all. We know he was arrested for our sake, we know that he was beaten. For our sake. We know that he was crucified for our sake. And if you know anything about crucifixion, it's one of the most inhumane forms of capital punishment. And he did that all for us. Staples, the store, made a great commercial a couple years ago called The Easy Button. You know. That was easy. I'm going to be honest. Following Jesus doesn't have an easy button. But he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, he's going to walk with you. He's given you the Holy Spirit. The day that you professed your faith in Jesus, he poured out his spirit into you and your life to be your teacher your guide, and your comforter. And you know, God is gentle. When you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you don't all of a sudden become some spiritual robot, do you? you? You know the good to do, and sometimes you don't do it, and sometimes you do the good you know to do. The Holy Spirit doesn't come in and take over and make you into a robot. The Holy Spirit gives you the choice to do your will or to do God's will. And here's the thing, Jesus will forgive us when we make a mistake and we do our will instead of his will. So I want to challenge you today. Don't be like those folks in the book of Hebrews who were walking away from Jesus. If you've not committed to Jesus or you've just made a casual commitment, today is your day to make a real commitment. If you've never made a commitment to Jesus, today's your day to tell him, yeah, I believe in you. I want to follow you no matter the cost. And if anybody just feels like they need to to ask forgiveness and recommit, today's your day too. So I'm gonna lead us in a time of prayer and I'm gonna give you some words to speak back to God silently here in this room and online and and I encourage you to do it. And and listen, if you do it for the first time, we've got a book on discipleship we would love to put in your hands. So send us an email at connect at valleybrook.cc now would you bow your heads and enter into a time of prayer God as we come into this place today we realize that you've called us to be your follower that you've called us to to be all in for you as you are all in for us we thank you for your grace so Lord today there are people in this room who may want to make a recommitment to you there are people who just need to say God I'm sorry for what I've done And I want to be faithful to you. And there are people who have never put their faith fully in you. And they want to do that today. So, folks, I'm going to just give you some words to pray. And you can personalize them and pray them silently back to God and and say, I'm making a commitment or a recommitment. So here we go. Dear God, I believe in Jesus I accept his forgiveness for my sinfulness. I believe Jesus died and rose again from the dead to save me. And today, I'm all in. I'm his follower. And so God, as we say amen to that prayer. Fill us with your spirit to be fully devoted followers, not casual followers, but fully devoted. May we live for you the way you live for us all out, all in, all the time. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.